0: You know, we thought we'd do that for a grandparents' day as a way of reminding us that, that heaven's what it's about. And one of the greatest joys for a grandparent is to see their grandkids believe in and their kids there at church with them. And um, so we celebrate that. And we also pray for all of our kids and grandkids that don't know Jesus. But it's a reminder that, that heaven's what it's about. I love Levine's answer. You know, maybe my life isn't a failure. I taught them something. And if she taught them Jesus, and it's something that she'll get to see him for for forever and ever and ever in eternity. And so great is the love of God and great are his promises. You know, we we talk about this this love that God has for us. And we're in the middle of this sermon series that we're talking about love. And, and today we're going to talk about another aspect of it just to challenge us a little bit more. And, and in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, God just says this. He says, love is not conceited or proud. Which makes sense. And, and so if you want to build these authentic relationships, you've got to learn this characteristic of humility. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you guys are awesome at humility? Show of hands. Awesome in humility. No. Yeah, we didn't get any last service either. It's crazy. Um, but humility is just one of those things that's probably more misunderstood than any of these other character, characteristics that God talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 when it's in context with love. So before we look at what it is, I want to explain what humility is not. So, humility is not shyness, and humility is not being timid or bashful. It's not being a weak or a spineless wimp. Humility is not a lack of confidence, and it's not insecurity. Humility is definitely not having a low opinion of yourself. We look at scriptures and we see that Jesus was incredibly humble, but he didn't have a low opinion of himself at all. Humility is not having a poor self-esteem. Humility is not putting yourself down all the time saying, I'm no good, I'm, I'm no good, I'm worthless. These things are are not humility. In fact, Jesus, it says, one of the most humble people ever walked the earth, right? He never put himself down. Humility is also not being humiliated. I'll give you an example of this. It was my very first week doing... A service doing liturgy. Yeah, I was so excited. I had my new robe I was gonna be able to go up and down the aisle and I was gonna be able to do liturgy for the pastor of my field at church It was a big day and I was really excited and really nervous And so I, I just remember going up and, and you know, you're all by yourself up here So it's a, it's a little stressful at the very beginning and my robe was just a little bit long And I went to step up on that step and I caught the robe and back then they had little snaps and went and so I turned around to the whole congregation and said, with my robe wide open, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I was humiliated. Now, in the congregation, there was a variety of actions. I'm sure there were some people who looked at that and said, oh, who's this kid? You know, he doesn't get anything right. And I'm sure there's others that looked at me and said, oh, I feel so bad for him. What a horrible thing to happen. I feel so bad. I wonder what I could do to make it better, whatever. Of these three people that were just, I just talked about, the people that kind of judged these other people and me, who showed humility? It was these people. People who cared more about somebody else than themselves. These guys were annoyed because I messed up their version of worship. I was totally freaked out because I was totally consumed with how embarrassed I was because my robe was wide open. But the people that showed a care for somebody that was not themselves showed true humility. It's an interesting thing. You see, humility, in essence, takes actually an enormous amount of courage. It takes an enormous amount of self-confidence. It takes high self-esteem. It takes personal security. In fact, most people that are insecure have a very, very hard time being humble. Because insecurity is just one of those things that produces the exact opposite. It produces pride. And so whenever you find somebody who's arrogant and prideful and boastful and egotistical and self-concerned, you know that they're just masking deep insecurity in life. Why? Because pride is always a cover-up for insecurity. Insecurity is what causes us to brag. Insecurity is what causes us to boast. Insecurity is what causes us to exaggerate. Anybody ever exaggerate on a resume, perhaps? Or how about at a dinner party when people are asking you what you do? Anybody ever exaggerate? a little bit, you know, how successful or how important or how whatever your job might be. It's insecurity that causes us to be hypocritical and judgmental of other people. Again, it's the whole idea of look over there, don't don't look over here. So rather than pride being a matter of confidence, humility, which is the exact opposite, is actually one that you need the confidence for. Consequently, Jesus, the most humble man ever walked the earth, was able to be humble, Because he knew exactly who he was and exactly what he was on this earth to do. And it was about us. It wasn't about him. And so he's able to take a humble role, a humble position while he was here. On top of that, there's really actually an enormous amount of promises when it comes to humility in the Bible. There are actually more promises made in regards to humility than almost anything else except maybe giving. So let me just share a few of them with you. says that God saves the humble, that God supports the humble, that God promises to guide the humble, that God gives wisdom to the humble, that God rescues the humble, that he promises to exalt the humble over and over and over again. God says, I will honor you if you're humble. The scripture says, with humility comes honor. On the other hand, God says this about pride. I hate it. God doesn't say he hates very many things, but he hates pride. He hates sin. And the Bible says, there are seven things that God hates, and the number one issue is pride. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride is what causes us to sin. Pride is the source of all of our arguments. God hates pride, but he loves humility. In fact, the Bible says this in Isaiah 66, verse 2. It says, The people I treasure the most are the humble. They depend on me. In other words, they get it. God says, I treasure people who have a genuine spirit, real humility. Now if God has promised all these things in regards to humility, and we know what humility is not, what exactly is humility? Because again, it's not thinking less of yourself, right? But rather it's thinking of others instead of yourself and acting in their best interests instead of your own. Again, humility is not putting yourself down going, oh, I'm horrible, I'm no good, I'm nothing. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Humility means to be other person-centered. It means to think about others and forget yourself. Humility is self-forgetfulness. It's where you're so concerned about other people that you're not even thinking about what it means for you. And we did this, or we do this, when we have kids, right? They start crying in the middle of the night, and though we don't want to go because we were sleeping, we get up and we care for our kid because they need somebody to comfort them. We care more about their needs at that moment than we do our own. They grow up and we take them to a soccer game for five hours or we take them to swim for forever. And we do that because we care about their experiences and their ability to grow and to have fun and to play with kids or whatever, than we do about our own free time. But it's hard to keep thinking of examples of where we're awesome at caring more about other people than we are for ourselves. And yet that's God's call again and again and again. It's where you're so concerned about other people that you're not even thinking about what does this mean for me. So you talk about something that's countercultural, right? We we live in a very me-driven society. We're me-centric. We've been taught since we were little to focus on ourselves that nobody else is going to watch out for us, so we have to take care of ourselves. So it's very countercultural, but it also means that humility is a choice. It's something that we can learn. It's something that we can work on. It's something that we can practice, which is what John says in 1 John 3.18. He says, let's not just talk about love. Let's actually practice real love. So today we're going to talk about three practical ways that we can actually work on this humility thing in our life so that we can show more love to other people in our life. Now, some of you may be saying at this point, oh, pastor, I don't need this message. I already got it, you know. And if that's you, I just want to say humbly that you need this message more than anybody else, right? Because the reality is we're great at seeing pride in other people, and we hate it. We, we, we see it. We don't like it. We see it immediately. But we are horrible at seeing pride in ourselves. So what are the ways that we can practice true humility, practice what true love really is? Well, one of the things that God gives us to think about this morning as we look at this is we have to learn at some point to give preference to other people instead of always to ourselves. So I want you to think about some different situations in your life that are difficult to give preference to others in, where you actually let somebody go else go first that's not you. And so I want you to, I'll give you a couple scenarios. Imagine you're standing in line in a checkout line at Bash's. The longest, slowest line you've ever been in in your entire life. And you're waiting there. And you're in a hurry. But nobody else seems to be in a hurry. The guy behind you hitting you with the cart. Two people back. The baby's screaming. The lady in front of you is pulling out a mountain load of coupons. You're waiting to go. You're dying. And then all of a sudden somebody says, lane four is now open. What do you do? You let the lady with the screaming kid go first? guy that keeps hitting you in the cart that's in a bigger hurry than you. Or do you push everybody aside and run from lane four? What are you going to do in that moment? Another scenario. You're in the church parking lot, and for some reason you're 10 minutes late, which I know never happens to anybody here, okay? And it's one of those busy Sundays, and there's just one space available. On the way to church, you've been screaming at the kids, your spouse has been yelling at you, you've been in an argument, you're stressed out from work, you're just trying to get to church. Would everybody just be quiet? You see the one spot, and then you see the three other cars that are gunning for it. What do you do? Pastor I know shared this story. I used to run a lot, He began, and occasionally I would try to run competitively, but I was just never quite there. I would train hard, work hard, but when it came to race day, I could never quite place, not in my age category. It was like 30. He said, occasionally I was like fifth in the 70 to 80 group, but but never in in my category. But a buddy of mine was, Gary was always fast. He always placed. And so I asked him one day if he could help me, and he would, and he did. Finally, after several weeks of working with him, he said, why don't we enter a race together and I will run with you the whole race. It was great. When I was feeling weak about the time in most races when I'd start backing off the pace, Gary really coached me and really pushed me, encouraged me stride for stride. He talked the whole way, but I knew it would happen as soon as we rounded that corner and saw the finish line. There goes Gary, but I was wrong. We rounded the corner, saw the finish line, and I was stunned by what happened. He started fading. He was falling behind. I'm smoking him. But you know, that's not what was happening at all. He saw the finish line, and he knew I had a chance. And though he could have beat me, he let me get ahead. It was the first and only time I ever won a third place at a race in my age group. Gary let me get ahead. And I think it's a cool story, and I think it's cool what Gary did, because you don't see that often in this life. But as important as it was to maybe get ahead in a road race, it's way more important to get ahead in life. And finally, one day living in the presence of God in a place that we call heaven. And you know how that happened for us, right? It's because Jesus gave preference to us. Like a slave, like a servant, Scripture says, he laid down his own preferences, his own rights, his own power, so that you and I could get ahead. So what we read about in Philippians 2, verse 3 through 8. It says, don't push your way to the front. Don't Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. It could be like he was talking to our culture today. In fact, I was watching um, One of the late night shows and a guy a Guy was there and he said, you know, I already I already wrote my check to this last hurricane effort and in this new hurricane that's now hitting the coast of, of Florida. I think and, and supposed to be so damaging was coming on the radar It was still several way, days away but he was already loved out. He says, I wrote my check to this Houston effort and, and, I, and I was moved by what happened, but now another one's coming. How many times do I have to write the same check? In other words, I, I want to love for a little bit, so it feels good, but then I want to stop. And you look at Jesus, and every time it got hard, he just kept on going. Kept on going to the cross, kept on loving us, kept on caring. He did whatever it took to make sure that we could be with him. So let me finish out this verse. Think of yourselves the way that Jesus thought of himself. He was God, but he took on the status of a slave, an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privilege. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And just think of the humble life that Jesus lived. He came from heaven to earth, which had to be a downer at some point because life's hard here. Heaven's awesome. Born in a stable, Allowing himself to be mocked and beaten and even crucified. Why? Because in his death, you and I are given an opportunity to have life. Jesus put our preferences, our needs ahead of his own because he knew that if he didn't, we would be lost. Jesus put our preferences, our needs ahead of his own ultimately because he loved us in the truest way possible. And so one of the things that we need to think about when we talk about loving someone is this idea of putting their needs before our needs. Again, very countercultural, but when we've experienced it, we truly experience somebody who's cared and loved us enough to do that. Another thing God calls us to do is I can practice admitting when I'm wrong. Just out of curiosity, how many of you guys are great at that? Yeah, we have one person last service, so we're not so good still. All right. The reality is it comes a little easier for some than it does others. It it just does. But the truth is we all make mistakes. And so for all of us then, there are times where we legitimately need to say to somebody in our life, I'm sorry. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse 13, it says, A man who refuses to do that, refuses to admit his mistakes, can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he'll get another chance. I don't know your background. Uh, Some of you might have grown up in homes where they just didn't say I'm sorry like at all. They never admitted I was wrong. They never said the words, I'm sorry. And so today we're imitating that behavior that we grew up with, that we learned, that we saw demonstrated before us. And so today we still have a challenge of ever really coming clean at our workplace or our classroom or even at home to admit our mistakes, to say the words, I was wrong. And somehow if we've come to that conclusion, we've come to believe that if people actually know or come to know how less than perfect I really am, the, the esteem that they have for me will go down. But guess what? And this maybe is a secret you guys didn't know. They already know that you're not perfect. Seriously, they already know you're not hiding a secret from anybody. And this is absolutely true of me, and my wife helps me with this in case I forget, but the reality is this is especially true when it comes to our daughters. If I've been impatient or I've been harsh or If I've been a little neglectful or not paid as much attention to them as I've needed to pay attention to them or given them appropriate love, my wife will sometimes nudge me or sometimes more forcefully, right? But she'll say, you need to go clean that up a little bit with the girls. And I will. And I'll go talk to them and I'll say, you know, Daddy, sorry. Daddy messed up. I I overreacted. I, I am so sorry for what I did. I'm sorry I wasn't as present with you as I needed to be. Please help me and remind me that you need my eyes and not just my ears when we talk. I'm so sorry honey will you forgive me and rather than my esteem in their eyes going down it actually goes up in those moments and it's amazing for me to think about that that when I'm apologizing they actually think more of me than when I don't apologize at all so the first step in a healing relationship and it's not just true with my kids or with my wife or whatever is humility It's caring more about them in that moment than you do yourself. It's caring more about the hurt that you've caused them and trying to fix it than you do demanding your own rights or your own issues or whatever it might be. James says in James 5 verse 16, it says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Then he gives us the third thing to think about, and I think this is as equally challenging as the first two But another way you can practice courageous humility is to practice surrendering your plans to God. Why do I say it like that? Because this is what we usually do, okay? We make our plans without consulting God. And then we pray for God to bless the plans that we made without consulting God. And then we assume that the plans that we made without consulting God are His will. And then when our plans don't happen on our timetable or with the way we want them to happen or they don't happen at all, we get mad at God. If you can take a little step back and see how silly that is, you can appreciate the irony. Yeah, that's exactly what we do, and that's exactly called pride. It's exactly called presumption. And hear me say again, God hates pride. It's very, very serious about pride. In James 4, 6-7, it says, God opposes everyone who's proud, but he gives grace to everyone who is humble. So he says, surrender. Surrender to God. Now, I can think of a lot of people I wouldn't want in opposition to me. I, I wouldn't want to be in opposition to just about anybody in a boxing ring, all right? And, and I wouldn't want to be in opposition on a basketball court to Michael Jordan or to just about anybody else, but, and I certainly wouldn't want to be opposite Bill Gates at an auction and trying to root on the same thing or, or, or bid on the same thing. But the reality is I absolutely, positively wouldn't want to be in opposition to God, because there's no way I'm ever going to win that battle. The Bible says that when I'm, in, I'm being prideful, God is not just mildly irritated with me. He's, in, he's actually in opposition to me at that very, very moment. He's my enemy. I'm playing God, and so God is coming to me and saying, I don't like that. I'm going to oppose you because I am the one and true God. And so I'm an enemy of God when I get full of pride. That's how serious it is. And so he says at that moment, as you're being prideful, surrender to me. Surrender to God. In Romans, He start looking at that and say, what in the world does it mean to surrender to God? And in Romans 6, verse 13, he kind of gives us a window into that. And says, "Give yourselves to God and surrender your whole being to Him to be useful for His righteous purpose." So surrendering means something like this: God, I'm going to go with your plans for my life and not my own. Now to be clear, God, I have my plans and I have dreams and I have goals and I have ambitions, but I know that you put me on this earth for a purpose, for a reason. So, God, I'm going to intentionally choose your plan for my life instead of my own. And I know, even though I don't like it, you're probably not going to unveil and reveal this plan to me all at once. You're going to make me wait. It's going to come a little bit at a time, and so I'm going to make it my best aim to take it step by step and not try to get in front of you. But again, I want to go with your plan for my life and not mine. And even get there, that's humility. Humility. It's caring more about what God has in store for you in this life and about your eternity than it is whatever your petty issues are for today. That's called being humble and surrendering your plans to God. It goes back to what Paul says in Romans, give yourselves to God and surrender your whole being to him. Boy, do we struggle at that. So my question this morning is, have you done this? Have you come to a point in your life where you said, God, I'm not going to go with my plan anymore, partly because it stinks and it keeps getting broken and it doesn't go the way I want it to go and I get so frustrated that it doesn't go the way I want it to go, but I'm going to go totally with your plan for my life. I don't know what it is, but I'm already signing my name on the check and you can write whatever you want in the blank because I'm committed to doing whatever you want me to do. Because that, again, is surrendering your plans to God. That is living for him first. That is what loving God in humility ultimately looks like. And we love God in this way, and we surrender ourselves to him in this way, not only because we know that he loves us, not only because we know that he has good purpose for our lives, right? But we do it because ultimately he loved us first, and he sent us Jesus. Jesus to make heaven actually a real possibility. We love him back for all the gifts and all the strength and all of his love that he continues to pour out on us. For the forgiveness he gives us over and over and over. For the fact that he puts us before him, even to the point of dying. And so as we take a look at this idea of love, God calls us, he challenges us today to love one another in that same spirit. All God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we again come to you and we say we love you. And even still, every time we say it, it seems to get harder and harder as we build on what love actually is. Because apparently, love is not just saying the words, I love you. And it's not just feeling that closeness when we sing you songs of praise. Love is actually a show me sport, apparently. It's showing kindness to the people around us and patience. It's, it's putting other people first. And Father, that's hard, especially for us as we grew up in this me culture that says you've got to take care of yourself. Nobody else will. You called us to do it different. You called us to put you first and then others first and then us. Father, forgive us for all the times we fall short of that. Forgive us for the hurt that we cause because of that. And more and more speak to us in your truth and show us love and strengthen us. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.